You're listening to Change the World, the podcast for Jewish nonprofit leaders. I'm your host, Sivya Kohn. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am coming with a very heavy heart. This is my first recording since everything that happened on October 7th, and I really have not known how to jump back in, but I have an incredible, incredible guest that I'm so excited, and I'm going to let her introduce herself in a minute, but I think that my heart was telling me that this is where we need to get started because, you know, everyone is lost, everyone is confused, but we all have to keep going, and especially the people that listen to this in the nonprofit space have no choice but to keep going. So, Rachel, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Definitely. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Sivia. I'm really glad to be here and talk with all of the nonprofits that listen to your podcast because this is a really hard time to be planning, to be fundraising, and I'm happy to be here to give a little bit of guidance. I am a nonprofit consultant myself. I've been in the nonprofit space for the last 20 years. The first 10 years of my career, I worked in the nonprofit space as a fundraising director at large Jewish organizations. And then for the past 10 plus years, my focus has been as a consultant, helping organizations build their capacity and make an impact. So really enabling and supporting other organizations to be as impactful as they can be. So I'm sure that these last few weeks have been very confusing and very hectic. We've all very recently been through COVID and there's a lot of like eerie similarities between trying to help our clients through that. And I, I would like to get into it. But can you go a little bit deeper for right now in terms of like before all this, when life was quote unquote normal, what, what do you do for your clients? Sure. So yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned COVID. I actually said to my my daughter's high school principal that, you know, in a way we learned a lot, although there's obviously um, important differences. We learned a lot from COVID and we can, we'll definitely talk about that. What I currently do for my clients is, um, well, first of all, I'm the founder and principal at Raise Nonprofit Advisors, which is a strategic consulting firm. And from hundreds of conversations with nonprofits, I've learned that the biggest challenges that they face is that they are short staffed and the staff that they have is overworked. So we are really like a development office that gets is the plug in to your organization. We are the back end. We are helping organizations build their capacity. We believe in uh, mission based fundraising. So we want to help you achieve that mission. And we do that through sharing our expertise and experience in development strategy and project management. And then that allows our clients to be able to be out there building relationships with donors. So we like to say we're in the kitchen making the food and they go out and serve it. And so they are building their capacity and ability to achieve their mission by applying what we've learned with working with dozens of other clients. So on projects, we're developing customized project management tools looking at data to help us drive our decisions. We're creating the talking point, the project timeline, the collateral material, whatever is needed for them to be able to go out and execute on their goals. Amazing. So I can see how during normal circumstances, that's something that is sorely needed by all nonprofit organizations. What happens when the world basically stops? Like what, how have you been advising people who are not, well, I mean, I think we, it's important to clarify that the organizations that are directly serving Israel are in a different category and they're in, you know, they're firing on all cylinders. So I think we're really talking about the ones that don't directly serve Israel, right? So schools. Absolutely. And, okay. So how are you really advising them to kind of operate right now? I think the most important thing I learned during COVID 
was the organization that throws completely really ended up losing out. So what's the direction here? Exactly. So, you know, I want to acknowledge that we're speaking at a very hard moment, not only what's happening in Israel, but in our neighborhoods, on college campuses, on the streets, you know, as we've all been scrolling, I've been scrolling and we've all seen a lot of disturbing, but also a lot of beautiful and heartwarming and uplifting um, sentiments. And just to, to start us off, one that I read that I that I appreciate and I think is fitting for this moment and for our profession is that we didn't realize how many people didn't like us, but we also didn't realize how much we like each other. And this sense, you know, just kind of broadly speaking of Jewish unity and um, love of our people and our our way of life is what will carry us through personally and professionally. So, you know, a month into this war, I think it's time now to reflect and see where we are and what we need to be doing. I think the first few weeks of the war, it was something so big and tragic that we really needed to focus solely on Israel. And, you know, candidly, I didn't even want to be giving sessions like this because I think we all felt you know, as not only as diaspora Jews, but as fundraisers whose job it is to raise money for other causes may have felt or may be feeling guilty about doing your job right now. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, that that guilt and that feeling inside of you is there and can actually be helpful to you in guiding your approach. So what do I mean? Probably most people have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Before you can think about your sense of self-esteem and actualization, you first need to have your basic needs met, your physical needs, right? Do you have food? Do you feel healthy? Do you feel safe and secure? Then from there, do you feel that you belong in a sense of, of being loved? So we as Jews right now have our own twist on this hierarchy. And for many donors, they may have, you know, where their priorities may have been locally before, or they've had pet projects, they now may be thinking in a more on a more existential level. So they may first be prioritizing Israel, and then they may be prioritizing um, the need to combat, combat anti-Semitism, and then on other causes that focus on Jewish life. So if your organization is one that focuses on Jewish life, I want to share two important things to remember. The first is that you are not asking donors to give to Jewish life instead of Israel. And this is why I think it's important to acknowledge that guilt, because you are asking donors to step up at a critical time where their philanthropy will make a huge impact. And you're asking donors not to divert those dollars, but to step up and to give more. Okay. And the second is to find your authentic connection to what is happening in the world. And you don't have to overstate it, but you don't have to be shy about making this connection. So For example, one of my clients is a Jewish day school and I was uh, meeting with them to launch a project and their lay leaders and principal were talking about how authentically they are teaching the values that are producing alumni that are enlisting to serve in the IDF, that are advocating on campuses or in their communities in terms of civic engagement. They are the ones organizing grassroots supply efforts or fundraising efforts here. So own what it is that the contribution that your organization makes and how it's relevant to the world situation right now. I love that. I think the authentic piece is so important because some organizations that are just either like kind of sticking in the party line of we support Israel and then jumping back into their own stuff or trying to find like some way to connect it and it doesn't really work. It's falling a little flat for me. And I hesitate to even say that 
because I think we're all really trying our best. So there's no judgment here. It's just about like, what is the best possible path? So my question would be, if you have an organization that really doesn't have like an obvious authentic connection, let's say a very community-based organization, like they provide financial services to their community, for example, what would be your suggestion of how they can go about something like that? So first of all, I think what you said that, you know, that acknowledge that that sense of vulnerability that and transparency with your donors, like we don't know if we're hitting this 100% right, but we are trying our best. And we are acknowledging that, you know, both of these things are important needs. And we are acknowledging that with everything going on, you know, our community, we need to keep the lights on in our institutions. And, you know, I like to think of it like this, like our enemies, you know, wouldn't like to see any of our organizations succeed, you know, whether we are focusing on the financial security of the Jewish community, or we're focusing on you know, sending sending military equipment to Israel, obviously two very different missions, but both of them are contributing to the vitality of Jewish life. And I think that's the message to donors that we need to we need to be firing on all cylinders. Yes, we have our, you know, more existential needs, but we also, you know, we have worked so hard to build a robust and and really vibrant community. And we want to make sure that we are able to maintain that even during these difficult times. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. So we're heading into like a really busy time of year for nonprofits. We have Giving Tuesday and end of year stuff and Hanukkah for some of them. Like there's just everyone probably had a lot of plans and a lot riding on it. So what are you telling clients that let's say have, you know, invested money, they have money, you know, holding event space or a big campaign, a big campaign plans. Are you telling them to pivot, pause? What, what's the generalized advice there? If, if there is general advice, I know it's probably important to go case by case as well. Yeah, so uh, definitely. And I think that first of all, listening to your lay leaders and to your community, having your ear to the ground. So for example, my own shul just sent out a survey to a sample of the membership to ask what they think about the dinner where, you know, should it be in the same venue? Should it be as festive as it was in the past? What should the program look like? So, you know, really reaching out and getting input from your stakeholders, I think is important. But I would also say, don't assume that you have to cancel. You may need to change your tone or your focus. So that is an important thing to consider. Like you mentioned, you know, during COVID, those that kind of sat still were the ones to really have uh, the hardest time getting back into things. I think the most important thing to do is to communicate with your donors. You know, even in a regular year, if you would tell me, you know, I have three hours a week to work on development, what should I do, right? I would not say do an annual dinner. I would say work on your pipeline of major gift donors, and that is the best return on your investment that you're going to get. So at a time like this, if you've decided to push off or to modify your events so that you're not going to be raising as much money, maintain those connections with your largest donors and still ask them to give at the level that they've been giving in the past. And, you know, I think that it's important to also engage your lay leadership so that not only are communicating with your donors, but you're communicating with, you're not the only one that's meeting with your donors, your, um, your lay leaders are hopefully, you know, as well as a best practice. And so everybody should really be on the same page in terms of that messaging. Yeah, that, I, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I want to share what my where my head has been going, and I would just be curious what your opinion on it would be. I'm just feeling like my advice would be that now is not the time to recruit new donors. Like 
everyone's hearts and minds are kind of elsewhere. And this would be the time to really tap into the base of support that you have now. So, you know, if you were going to make a dinner, maybe make it more intimate and, and you know, scale it down a little bit and don't do so much public advertising. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I wouldn't want to give advice that ends up having like a long-term negative effect on the organization, but also that's what's feeling right to me at the moment. Yeah. So I think, you know, organizations have come to me and asked, they have a crowdfunding campaigns at the end of the of the um, calendar year, what should they do? And I've been telling them, like, if you have something planned, move forward with it. You know, again, with all of that context in mind and being able to tailor your messaging, apply it to the current situation. But yes, and, and the other thing I would say is follow the lead of your donors. Like I was working with a client and I said, you know, oh, they're doing a capital campaign and now they're probably going to have to press pause. And donor donor came forward to them and said, let's meet. I want to hear what's going on with the project. So I would say take the lead of your donors. But yes, the, I like to talk about a race. We talk about aggressive, but realistic. So what does that look like at this moment in time? You know, so it may not look like, you know, you if you set a goal in your campaign plan at the at the beginning of the year, right, that it may not look like you're going to hit that number raise, you know, increasing donations, uh, increasing donors by 25% new donors. But it could mean that the begin the first few months of the year, you had uh, recruitment and now you're following up to have face-to-face meetings with those donors and talk to them and tell them what you're working on and the challenges and just really being transparent and using that as a cultivation tool. So is that also the advice you would give to, I think there's going to be, unfortunately, many that are going to have a shortfall this year, just based on, you know, so many different things kind of colliding at once the economy was not doing so great as it is before we went into this. And now we have just so many, unfortunately, competing causes that really, really need our attention. So is that what you would tell an organization to do to try to tap into that original donor base? And if so, what what would the main message be, I guess? I think so. And this is where we see the best practices holding true. And we this is it was demonstrated during COVID as well, that fundraising is relationship-based if you've been educating your donors about the importance of annual giving year after year, then now is the time that you're going to be to reap the rewards of doing that important expectation setting. Um, if you've been communicating with donors, then it's not going to be as awkward to set up a meeting and to ask for a gift. You know, if you've been maintaining your data so that you can see who is given, you know, whose gift is still open, who has who is a skip that you could return to, who is given less this year that you could follow up with. And now is a time again that you will be able to easily, you know, use that infrastructure that you've built to help you perform as best as you can in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's tough for all of them, but I think that we've all been hearing like unexpected stories of people stepping up and, you know, surprising an organization with you know, an unexpected gift when they thought maybe that they would have to do with less. So I think that's very heartening to hear. So, you know, I would have hoped, I guess, that we all had learned more during COVID, but I, you know, having gone through it with my clients and looking back now, I think everyone really slowly but surely went back to business as usual. So let's say we don't want to do that this time around. And we really say, you know, hopefully this crisis will pass, the war will end and you know, as a nation will heal and, and it will return to business as usual. How can we make sure that, God forbid, there should be no more crisis, but if we do find ourselves in crisis to be more prepared on a, I would say not even on an organization le- organizational level, but on a communal level, to not have any entity suffer drastically. Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing that I noted in the Orthodox community was, at least where I live, there was, there's been a real focus on grassroots efforts. We know that these large organizations 
exist and have strong connections to Israel and relationships there and big emergency funds. But within the Orthodox community, we saw a lot of grassroots mobilizing. And I just thought that was interesting. I think both you know, the large organizations and the small ones serve their purpose. But I think that one thing that we've learned is the importance of an organized community. And hopefully we've built some of that infrastructure, whether it was for the need of sending supplies to Israel or advocating locally in our own communities. We noticed what was missing and have been able to build that further. So I hope that will be something that we can rely on more in the future. And then, you know, I, like you said, I think we one thing that we learned from COVID was that organizations that felt the impact that year, you know, it was challenging, but the impact didn't last forever. And God willing, this won't either. And the other thing I would say is if you are pressing, you know, now's not the time to press the accelerator on fundraising, then now is a good time to focus on building those habits and that infrastructure so that you do have a stronger organization. So if you're usually running from, you know, running this event to that event, maybe now is the time to put together that advisory board or, you know, you have notes and notes that haven't been entered into your data system or you haven't taken the the time to say thank you to your donors or to share um, a newsletter communicating the impact that you've had over the past few months then now is also a great time to be catching up on those best practices to strengthen your ability to to perform now and in the future. Yeah, what's coming to mind for me is the alumni list. I feel like that's the one the organizations yes. are like, yeah, we'll get to that someday. Like, this is a good time. And then 50 years later, they're like, yeah, I've met with those clients too. We never really caught up on that. Yeah, so maybe now is a good time to go hit that alumni list. Very tastefully, of course. I want to go back to what you said about the grassroots. I think that's really important in terms of a, a like a long lasting lesson. I was really interested in watching that as well. And I think it's such an, a lesson for nonprofits. You really, you just need to give people the opportunity. People are really, really good in our community and they want to help. And we li- we're living in an era where people have time. Like I, I feel like when I grew up, like parents didn't have time to do so much volunteer. Like they were at their desk until late at night. It's a really different era. And I, I, too many times see like the opportunity that is being offered is, you know, buy this raffle ticket, attend this concert. Like people really want to step up. They are willing to get their hands dirty. And I would hope that this should be like a lesson. Like you don't have to necessarily, you know, hold the glamorous event or, you know, whatever you think you might need to do to get people involved. Really just get them involved on on a ground level. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying for a while now that I think philanthropy has changed Whereas it used to be people gave primarily out of a sense of responsibility, you know, the Jewish tax, giving to Federation, that model. And whereas now people give because they want to see the impact that they desire to see become actualized. And so organizations need to flip their script. And instead of talking about help us achieve our goals, they need to talk about how as an organization we can help you, the donor, achieve or the volunteer or the activist achieve your goals. And so this is, you know, it's finding that sweet spot in the Venn diagram between what you do and what the, as, as an organization and what the donor wants to see happening, get done. And I think that, yes, there's, you know, apathy is like kind of, a, you know, unfortunately a trend that we've seen. And unfortunately, one of, you know, we have to see something go wrong or, or, or get a scare in order to mobilize people. 
but to realize that we have such force out there and such talents in our community. And I know fundraisers are always thinking, how can we engage people beyond asking them for money? There's, you know, so many examples now of how we can be utilizing our community members. And I think a lot of it is motivating them and, and mobilizing them, but we've seen the power of small grassroots effort. And that's something that's been really inspiring as well. For sure. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's an investment on the part of the nonprofit to figure out what the structure would be and, and what it would look like for people to really get involved and get their hands a little bit dirty. But I think based on what we've seen, it's a really worthwhile investment because once you have that foot in the door, they're connected. They're your, they're your people now. Absolutely. And the other thing that I think really positive that came out of this was the desire to work together and to realize that we're not just, you know, each our own, you know, little small shop, but that we are, like I said, like all building the fabric of a of a safe and vibrant and healthy, you know, Jewish community. And we've seen that unity in the past couple of weeks. And, you know, I think it's a great time to think about how are we most efficient? Where do we want our donors to be focusing on? Should they all be giving to to fund supplies for the IDF? Should they be giving to larger organizations? Should they be giving to to fund supplies to go to a, a relief and re- for refugees? Should they be focused? I just happened to speak to someone who came back. He was he's a soldier and he came back to his family here, maybe sent back again, saying, you know, now we really need to be focused on the economy because people are going to be, you know, they've been out of their work for a little while. The tourism is down. So organizations that are supporting the economic and the more social needs of people. So I think we could still use some improvement and and have a, a little bit of a ways to go in terms of mobilizing as a community and thinking less about, you know, how we each make our own Shabbos and how we and how we can really deploy our resources to fight this fight the best as we can as a community. Absolutely. The other thing I was thinking of as you're speaking is about the way things have changed in terms of getting involved and helping. And somebody actually meant to, mentioned this to me and I was like really struck by it, that it used to be you, we all relied on organizations to help. Like if something happens in Israel, we didn't know, we got, maybe you got the newspaper the next day. I mean, our kids' generation, that's like unheard of, but we didn't right. find out details. Now it's so instantaneous and the need can be shared so instantaneously. Like it's like I'm getting WhatsApp links like my brother is a chayal and they need this click here to donate. So I don't need an organization necessarily doing that work for me. So I think that the lesson for organizations as well is you have to, it's almost sad to say, prove why you exist. Prove why my donation directly into his pocket is not more powerful. And in many cases it is because I've been seeing a lot of um, articles and written, you know, basically saying that some of the donations, unfortunately, were not able to be used because they right. were not. Right. There's, you know, there's been waste. There's been duplication of yeah. efforts. So I think, yeah, that is a, that is definitely an opportunity for them to be able to demonstrate their, you know, the advantage that they bring to the table. Yeah. The messaging has to kind of like zoom out and there's a bigger picture because I think that's a little bit of a shift because I think a lot of the messaging direction was like about make it about the one story, like find the very dramatic person, you know, with the right and tell their story so that you can pull heartstrings. But now again, I can get that same story on WhatsApp from the person's, you know, neighbor and do the same work. So it's a little bit of zooming out is required. Make it compelling, but also explain why you're positioned to do this work. A hundred percent. Yeah. So we talk about like appealing to the mind and appealing to the heart. I think you're saying what you're pointing out is 100% true. We are getting that appeal to the heart. Like we don't need the organizations as the medium to provide that. We see it when we open our phones from our family and friends in Israel, from the YouTube or WhatsApp groups, you know, that we're that we're all attuned to. 
But the value added that organizations can bring is to make sure that that money is being deployed as strategically and as effectively as possible. And I think that the same applies for the organizations that are not helping with the current situation, but they're helping here in in the way that they are. Like I can still donate directly to, uh, you know, like the, the neighbor that is going through something, but what the organization can do on their level with their resources and their connections is at a whole other level. So yeah, and I think that's part of educating donors. We talked about educating donors to be giving annually, but also to be thinking, I sometimes meet donors that say, oh, I'm giving to this organization because they have zero overhead. And then, you know, I question that assumption that that's a good thing, because if you have zero overhead, it means you have volunteers running the place who are likely it's not their first priority. They have their own jobs. They have their own families. This is like the third or fourth thing on the list. And not not to knock, you know, organizations that are that are volunteer run. I think it's amazing. But, you know, an organization that has professional staff, has someone invested in it, who is thinking about, am I, you know, am I doing this most strategically? And I think for organizations focused on Israel and those that are not, we have to be thinking about not only how are we getting through the sprint, but the marathon, right? So making sure that we pace ourselves and that our donors are not exhausted. And one way we could do that is saying thank you and, you know, consolidating the asks that we get, that we put out there so that we're not asking every other week, but that we're asking strategically. So maybe at the end of the year through, you know, a crowdfunding event and then in the spring through a a dinner or some other mechanism to, you know, to kind of use those as anchor points in the year to ask so that we're not asking all year long. So you brought up the O word, the overhead word, which is a very touchy topic in, in the world of fundraising. I'm curious, do you get that question a lot? Do you find that donors are still asking that a lot when they're giving about like specifically where the donations are being used? I think it's important for organizations have to have that transparency and to be to be able to explain where their money, the donor's money is going, the impact that it's making and and the overhead piece. I think donors mostly have become, you know, accustomed to the idea of overhead, but organizations, we still need to improve at being able to show measurable, tangible results. And so while it's important to think about what kind of metrics as as to, to partner the fundraising and the programming side to be thinking about as a program is launching, what kind of evaluation is happening and how can I as a fundraiser get my hands on that data so I can demonstrate to donors, you know, this program that was intended to, you know, help 20 families with children with mental illness or families to get their feet back on the ground after, you know, a financial stressor how successful has it been, you know? And then there's always that academic conversation about outputs versus outcomes. Can you really tell if you've achieved your mission by number of meals served or, you know, number of therapy sessions held or whatever the case may be? But still, I still encourage it because it's it's some kind of demonstrable proof that you are doing what you say you're doing and it's making a difference in the community. So I usually like to couple that with those personal stories, you know? But I think as we've discussed over the course of this conversation, that balance of like appealing to the heart and the mind is important. So I think you're bringing up such an important piece, the the metrics and the impact and measuring it and being able to look back. That's so important. So I'm just, as I'm speaking, I don't know if this is an answerable question, but how, how can we bring that back to the current time? You know, if an organization was really prepared, you know, for the end of this year with their, and now everything is kind of you know, unfortunately, either on pause or maybe going off a little off the rails and they're really not sure. How would you suggest addressing that with their donors? So I think this is where we get back to the mission-based fundraising, tapping into what the mission of the organization is 
and then applying that in an authentic way to the current reality of our world right now. So for example, I'm working with an organization right now, they're preparing for a crowdfunding campaign and they focus on inclusivity, people with disabilities and you know, from from children to adults through all aspects of Jewish life. And they're, you know, so they're not really connected to Israel in a direct way, but they are connected to the Jewish values, you know, that we are fighting for. So that is, I think, a piece that they will highlight in their crowdfunding uh, messaging. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It all has to go back to the mission. And I think it's almost easy for organizations. They kind of sometimes lose sight of the mission. Almost like they're just running from one thing to the next and whatever looks good and, and the stories that are the best to tell. But then at the end of the day, especially in times of crisis, I think it really does go back to the mission. So I love that. 100%. And that's why you're, and even if, you know, you're talking a lot about connecting that mission to what's going on now, but your donors chose your mission, chose to give to you because they believe in your mission. So you will never be steered wrong by leading into that mission. Absolutely. So I, I want to wrap this up, but I just, I want to kind of like summarize because I think we covered a lot of really important things. What I'm seeing, and you can tell me if you're seeing the same, I, I'm seeing like two camps. I'm seeing the organizations that are just plunging forward. They're not scared. They're, you know, they're really just going in. I'm like a little nervous. Like, is there some element of magical thinking involved there? And then I'm seeing the ones that are just like, we, we don't know. I don't know. I'm afraid to speak, afraid to move, afraid to change. Um, and I'm sure there's some in the middle, but like those are the two basic cams. If you can kind of give them one motivational sentence or two, to say, okay, we all need to move forward. It's been a really hard month and we don't know what's coming in our hearts and our minds are broken. Where where are we going? So I think that, you know, we started with acknowledging that guilt, but I also want to talk about pride, you know, that all the work that Jewish nonprofits do to enrich our lives is really incredible and they contribute to what we are fighting for. And they, they're what make our Jewish life so special. So for those that are feeling hesitant, you know, to go out and do it proudly. And I think fundraising can be a hard job, even in great times. You know, the turnover of a a fundraiser, I think the stat is in the U.S., like 18 months in a job before they move on to the next job. And I think that's for a lot of reasons having to do with lack of culture of philanthropy. But early on in my career, I read a book by Reynald Levy called Yours for the Asking, and he compared development work to baseball, that one in three is a good record. And right now it's likely that, you know, one in three solicitations is even, you know, aggressive and you you may not get that, but it's important to have that thick skin. Like we said, you know, aggressive, but realistic. Um, I started fundraising during the 2009 recession and I was like, what's wrong? Why can't I close a gift? Right. And it, it was the environment. So I think to stay focused on, you know, I, the theme, I guess, is, uh, of our conversation is Venn diagrams. Another good Venn diagram that I like to refer to is in one circle, what's important, and on the other circle, what's in my control. And that overlap is where we need to be focused on. So there is a lot of important things going on in the world. And, you know, personally and professionally, that could be very scary. But to think about what we can do, what is a small piece, you know, loa lacham lachalig more, but what is one piece? that we can do to um, improve Jewish life around the world at this vulnerable time. And I think to think about, you know, our mindset should be that that's a privilege that we get to do every day, even if it's hard. Absolutely. This was amazing. Thank you so much. I think you really gave some really amazing concrete advice. I hope it helps whoever is listening. 
anybody has any questions for you, wants to get involved or, you know, maybe wants to work with you, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Sure. So it was so my pleasure, Sivia. Thank you. It was a great conversation. So people can reach out to me, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L at raiseadvisors.com. You could look at our website. You can sign up also for our mailing list to get, you know, articles, podcasts, our thought leadership that we're putting out periodically. Um, they can follow us on Facebook. We have a Raise, a Raise Nonprofit Advisors group on Facebook. So those are all great ways. I'm always happy to talk to organizations and think about how we can help them with taking their fundraising to the next level. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tsivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com.